welcome to Pedagogzilla, where we answer incredibly silly questions by pulling apart pieces of pedagogic theory, research, and observation, and then looking at them through the good old lovely lens of pop culture, comics, movies, TV, video games, animes, uh, all, the, all the best things in life. Uh, this episode, we'll be answering the very silly question, what is Ghost in the Shell's major problem with technology-enhanced learning? And there was a secret pun in there, but we'll explain that later. <laughs> My name's Mark. No, wait, you're Mark. What the fuck? Uh, and I'm Mike. I'm a man with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Mark. I'm a man with a PhD. In education. <laughs> oh, man, I can only do a better accent than that. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> no. fair enough. That's close enough. Okay, so tra- transpose those two things. Okay. Um, and, uh, and those are the people we are. I am actually Mike. And uh, joining me, Mark. we have... I'm Mark, yes. Yeah. And I'm a man who this time feels woefully unprepared. Which, uh, And I feel... The same as always, really. Which is just... It's probably good that I'm not overprepared this time. So, but we're, uh, so the reason we're actually coming to this particular question today uh, around technology-enhanced learning is that we recently uh, read and pulled apart a paper by Sean Bain uh, called What is the Matter with Technology-Enhanced Learning? Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, what it is. But uh, yeah, cheers, Sean, for the mm-hmm. stimulus for this episode. So... Do you want to try the word stimulus again? No. Mate? Do you not like Do you not like saying like stimulus? Stimulus. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like more fun? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Stimulus. Part one. The question. Okay, so let's break down our question. There are two components to it. What is Ghost in the Shell's major problem with technology-enhanced learning? We need to talk to you about what Ghost in the Shell is with a major is, and what technology-enhanced learning is. Okay. Learning, learning, there is something wrong with me. Well, it's the lack of sleep, it isn't is it? It is the lack Six of sleep. Six hours in three nights, that's yeah, not so good for anyone. We are, yeah, we've, we've uh, compared notes and we are both desperately low on sleep, so if you hear anything wrong <laughs> in this episode, then please contact us and we might assume that you're the spirits of our dead relatives come to visit us because we're so sleep-deprived we can no longer tell reality from, fa- um, from the I, other thing. Yeah, I'm not very good with that most of the time anyway. <laughs> okay, so right. Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. Originally uh, a manga by Masamune Shiro, written in the 80s. Mamoru Oshimi, I think I pronounced that correctly, did a couple of movies. Ghost in the Shell, which is, that was one of the kind of gateway drug to anime mm-hmm. for the Western world. Uh, that and Akira were the ones that were like the one-two punch. For... Yeah, they were syndicated by that. It was syndicated by manga or something, wasn't it? It was like this kind of American yeah. thing. And they were the first ones that got actual effort in uh, English dub or something like that. I think so, yeah. And also there was a huge uh, ICI, ICA uh, exhibition of manga or exhibition, whatever, program of anime that was, I think, the late 80s. Uh, early nineties that really sort of really pushed it out there as well. So that was, I mean, that was that was what it was it was for me anyway. Those two movies. Um, so those two movies. So those were the, the two movies. And then Kenji Kamayama made a couple of TV series called Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which is utterly, utterly excellent. One of my we favorite TV. Massively shows. encourage you to go and watch it. Yeah. Uh, so two seasons of that, and then a movie, a sequel, which was a sequel to the movie called Solid State Society, and then. Kazuchiki, Kazuchiki Kisei uh, was the director of uh, a series of OVA, which is, I can't remember what OVA stands uh, for. OVA, original video animation, so basically the Japanese equivalent yeah. of a, a straight to DVD release. And there was a series of OVA, which they then turned into a TV series, added some more episodes. Uh, the extra episodes you can get is a separate OVA called uh, Porphyric Cult, and then they made another movie 
which was called uh, Ghost in the Shell, the new movie, because I think they'd run out of weird fucking <laughs> names by then. Um, and there's also Ghost in the Shell 2.0, but that is just a remake of, well, a sort of Ghost in the Shell original movie with a sort of few tweaks, CGI's and yeah. things. And there's also, um, allegedly, uh, Hollywood made um, some sort oh, of version yeah, of... come across that. Yeah, I know. It's, I, it really slipped under the radar. Yeah. Um, some uh, Scarlet Boris um, was in it. And, okay, um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of less said about that, the better, really. <laughs> so, yeah, so complex creation and things and all over the place. But, yeah, so that's that's how it's made. So what's it about? Made. Oh, and, and we should clarify yeah. it as well. But I think for the purposes of today, we're going to focus probably most on the original 1995 movie, just because I think that is, as a self-contained item, yes. probably the best individual rendition of Motoko, okay. the major who forms part of our question today. So, um, yeah, it's about, um, it's a mid 21st century, so I don't know, the new series that's coming out on Netflix next year is called 2045. That's about when it's all taking place. It's about uh, a, an organization of armed tank police, t- no, police thing um, called Section 9, led by a guy called Aramaki, who does all the kind of infighting and political stuff. But the field agent is Major uh, Kusanagi Motoko. And so, and then she's got a team of guys who are all absolutely devoted and, and kind of to her. The, the main two, I guess, are... Bato. Bato. Bato, who has little discs for eyes, which is yes. so metal. Yeah, yeah. And, and Togusa, who actually has hardly any yeah, augmentation. He, no augment, well, he's, got the, the, he's got the mandatory augmentation only, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, because that's the key point of it all being cyberpunk, is that everybody's got some sort of, unless you're homeless and absolutely no money whatsoever, you all have some sort of cyborg in, implement, uh, hmm. augmentation. The basic is this cyber brain thing where your your brain has had all these things added to it. But for um, the Major and Batu, they're complete, they're only just brains, basically, or they hmm. start off as just brains in, in a body. And that's, what, of course, what's called Ghost in the Shell. When it came to the West... They changed the name to because it then brings in this ghost and machine thing. It's like which that basis of that is we're just cells, we're just neurons, all that sort of stuff. That's all just kind of like logic gates. If you bunch put a bunch of logic gates together, where does the soul come from? From that exactly, and like one of the kind of the central uh, pillars to the, all of the um, like all of the Ghost in the Shell films and the TV, uh, particularly the first movie though, is this big question of. What is human? What is consciousness? What is a soul? Where does that exist? In the film itself, you know, the major herself kind of questions her own humanity or has her humanity questioned. And throughout uh, the course of the film, um, an AI consciousness, independence, the, the puppet master with a with a soul, mm. uh, or, you know, or with a soul question mark, question mark. Uh, develops. And it explores um, in a way that God bless the Japanese. They really did in that kind of that 90s to 80s period, the sort of the philosophy around that in some Absolutely stunning um, shots and the sort of thing that you never really get, I think, outside of Japan. I don't think... I mean, uh, Evangelion uh, oh, yeah. is a great example of basically artists being allowed to be artists for, for half an hour, unfettered. And so, yeah, you can hack people's eyes so that they perceive things differently. You can hack their brains to change their memories. If you're a, a AAA hacking wizard, whatever it's called, and you can get to their ghost line. So it's 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 kind of a, it's cyberpunk in all those sorts of ways in which society's gone weird, the, the technology's taken over, and all that kind of stuff. And it's... What I don't think we've really conveyed how essentially cool it is. Oh yeah, it's frighteningly, frightening cool. It was bleeding edge uh, cyberpunk for its time, and yeah. it has aged beautifully. Yeah. Uh, some of the stuff that it suggests has, you know, is is on the cusp of reality now. What was uh, very much fantasy then is on uh, the cusp of reality now in some regards, and the art direction is 
Gorgeous. Yeah, and the direction of the, I mean, the standalone complex when they sort of, t they, you know, they're breaking into houses, they're like a SWAT team, mm. and you've got Paz, who's the, he's, he's, the, he's the kind of dirty fighter kind of guy, is he? And then there's Sato, who's the uh, who's the sharpshooter, and you've got, um, and you've got uh, Ishigawa, who's the hacker, mm. and the second in command, and all that sort of stuff. And they, it's just the, the, unifi the unified nature of these people coming together to a single kind of, I don't know, it's... Well, yeah. I mean, as, as you can tell, we're not big fans of <laughs> Ghost in the Shell. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah this, Ghost in the Shell. This, this is all just a cursory <laughs> Wikipedia scan. So, you can... so yeah, so yeah, yeah okay. so, um, so that's Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, that's Ghost in the Shell. Uh, we'll just say that if you've never heard of the property before, or haven't heard of it, have heard of it, or haven't seen it, it is an excellent, excellent gateway drug to uh, to anime movies. Mm -hmm. um, would also put on that to watch list uh, Akira, just because mm. it's. It's the uh, defining. It's a it's a landmark. Yeah. The the TV series associated yeah. with it, and some other properties we'll put in the show notes. <laughs> um, okay, so we have plucked apart Ghost in the Shell. I'm conscious, we probably told you everything about it. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll put a link to the Wikipedia description as well. Let's talk about technology enhanced learning. Now, okay. this there's a particular type of talking about technology enhanced learning that we are looking at for this episode, which is excuse me. Um, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> That's the uh, is that the is that the onion or the uh, that, uh, what did you say you had for lunch? Uh, I had a smoked mackerel and, mm. and onion. No, uh, it was just uh, it was because uh, I was about to say the tell acronym, but oh, yeah. every acronym makes a bit of gorge rise in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Sean um, Bain, uh, Sean Bain uh, has done an article or paper, sorry, uh, yeah. where she pulls apart the concept of technology enhanced learning. So in the field that. Uh, Mark and I are involved in, and of course yourselves, if you are familiar with higher education, you may well be aware of technology-enhanced learning as a thing that has uh, a thing, a job role, a uh, discipline, a school of school, a, a set of theories and tools and things that has been of increasing prominence to some degree or other internationally for the last 10 years? 20, I've 20 been in years? Oh, yes. Okay, 20 years. 20 years. Okay, 20 <laughs> years. Um, and, has, and the Open University realised that it existed four years ago. Oh, okay, so what Sean Bain does is she takes apart, she deconstructs the etymology of the word, what actually it means. I'm not, I mean, for a start, I think one of the reasons why everybody gets into tell is and why as learning designers we're mainly at. I mean, we do learning design, so it's all about pedagogy, but actually when you go and sit into a group of people who are putting together a course, what they really want to know about always is the technology. And often that ends up being, I mean, my first job doing learning design and all that with technology was the 1997. And there it was like, well, come in and tell us about how to use the uh, VLE for teaching or whatever. It's not... Well, no, it wasn't. It was how to use the VLE, not how to use the VLE for teaching, but which uh, things VLE like being a virtual, virtual learning, learning environment. Yes, yeah, sorry. Or, which <laughs> the means called the LMS or Learning Management System. Um, okay, so a website. It's yes, a website. It's a, it's a, well, it's yes, but it could be so much more. Um, but uh, that's why people get stuck with the term: is that if you're trying to get in to change people's teaching within this sort of environment, people seem to think that they understand how the pedagogy works. But what they're aware of that they don't know is how the technology works. So you could be a learning designer, and actually what they want you to do is come in and show you which things to, which buttons to press. So it becomes a kind of way to gates to to put your get your foot in the door and start talking to people is have this visible thing called technology enhanced learning or whatever, and then that just becomes something visible that you can start talking to people about. The problem is, is what do you call it? Uh, Sean pulls apart in this particular paper all the reasons you shouldn't call it technology enhanced learning, without unfortunately suggesting. 
any alternatives. Yeah. And she does this by literally plucking apart each individual word in it mm-hmm. uh, because it turns out, I mean, I think she makes a pretty strong case that there's a lot yeah. of assumptions baked into uh, the term which may be detrimental to kind of pedagogic progress. Yes and no, because we had this argument yeah. when we were having that, that, that thing, which is that, um, yeah, I think when the term gets gets constructed, there's a lot of assumptions which are false assumptions, which aren't, which we're going to unpack. But I think once the term's there, it's like, I mean, I use the example of Pedagodzilla. I mean, we don't, nobody, you'd say the phrase, nobody really thinks where's the etymology of that word come from, and it'd be quite bizarre yeah. if you did. I, um and I think once we get to technology and enhanced learning, people think, oh, well, that's about using um, that's about using Instagram or our version of that, which is Open Studio, or that's about using the VLE. So they don't think about these wider philosophical concepts of what it means or where the words come from. It just becomes a label that gets labeled a bunch of tech that they use in your teaching. And that could be e-learning, it could be, te- uh, it could be uh, learning technology, all these other different phrases that have been used over the years. Really. And you don't always get to choose your labels, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do, unfortunately, need labels in order to be able to move things forward. So um, let's uh, break into the technology and the enhanced and the mm-hmm. learning bit, just to pull that apart. Uh, and then we're going to quickly recontextualize this against the question, because we are um, slightly conscious that uh, this could ghost in the shell and technology and enhanced learning could feel like two things uh, colliding with each other from completely opposite directions. But they do all tie together, and we're going to explain to you how. Okay. Mark's raised his eyebrow because he's like, how the fuck are we going to do this? <laughs> it's all right. We're gonna... I, I've got, I think I've sort of a plan. It's three posts, isn't it? Yes, yes. We're, we're going to manage this. this is okay, gonna, we can do it. So by the end of this, you'll be like, how did those guys tie together those incredibly yeah. disparate things? It's almost like they just plucked out two things they wanted to talk about and stuck them next to each other, which <laughs> okay. would be so far yeah, from the truth flaky as to be quite close. Okay. Um, so technology. Within sort of Sean's paper, she plucks apart what's technology. Uh, technology is carries with it a set of assumptions within um, the within the word from the perspective of sort of you know academic colleagues we may work with um, a lot of them see it as kind of like technology equals digital and that's kind of one of the key things is the perception is technology equals digital whereas in fact technology really is you know uh, bits of flint knocking each other's make uh, fire wood is technology uh, wood sorry books books are made from wood uh, books are a technology <laughs> yeah but the sort of the outside perception of technology in this context is more often than not digital. Yeah, and online as well. And I think that's mm. one of the reasons why TEL came in as a as an abbreviation, as a as a concept, was because people have been talking about online learning, but that doesn't include having putting a, a you know a microphone in a bunch of a in front of a bunch of kids in a classroom and using that technology to create audio or put a camera in front of them or whatever. Yeah, as you said, why technology? Technology. Everything we do is technology. We've been using technology since before we were, um, I mean, Homo ergaster, which we evolved from, used technology. So we've, we've evolved and technology's evolved, all that side by side kind of thing. So, and the idea that chalk isn't a technology, but um, uh, social media is. Well, a, a t- chalk isn't a technology. Chalk on a chalkboard isn't technology, but PowerPoint is. Yeah. But they do exactly, exactly the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm... Um, I was struggling this and I was teaching, well, which things, when I first started doing it, which is like, well, why is this being called technology? So why is a website technology, but a Word document isn't? And the only hard and fast rule I could come up with was which things counted and which things didn't, was the things that counted as technology were things that had come in since I got my PGCE. That was all it was. (laughs) So if it was new to you, it's technology. If it doesn't quite work right, it's technology. Or if you're still trying to get used to it, it's technology. Technology? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've covered, yeah, Yeah, technology, recent. 
Enhanced. Okay. Now, enhanced is probably the thorniest um, bit in the sandwich in that the technology enhanced essentially implies that technology enhances. Yes. The technology By adding technology or by applying technology to X, you have made it better. Well, and that's, that's, I mean, I think that's the core part of Sean Bain's argument as well, is that there's an implicit thing in this whole thing about enhancement, that just by doing it, it makes things better. It's a kind of technological technological determinism sort of thing. And, and yeah, you still see that. It's like, oh, we've got to get some technology in there somewhere. Mm. We saw, I watched a keynote last week. So in this, he was saying that in his college, they had a blended learning hour. So it wasn't like the the, the technology gets incorporated just because... It's useful or because it's a goal towards an end, but it was more let's squeeze in an hour of using some technology and that's it. And that's the agenda. And I think that's that helped him get the stuff across. It helped him embed it. But it's not ideally the way you would do it, because really you're using technology to, to reach a, to reach the end, which is the better and better teaching. So and. um I think the idea of enhancement is that just by making, just by revisiting it and thinking about it more and unpacking it and deciding which is the best way to do things, you are again going to enhance it. But the idea that just by using technology mm. enhances it is, uh, it just doesn't work. A good example of the perception of this as well is if you look at a lot of the, so uh, university published, not just the Open University, but small scale university bits of uh, research and scholarship definitely over the last five years, I'd say, out of the ones in the sort of technologies or tools category, the ones which include the words Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, basically whatever the uh, the meme zeitgeist bit of tech is for the time where somebody has basically done a bit what we've done this episode and collided it with something mm. they've liked and then gone, ha-ha, success. Yeah. I've, there's a conference every year called, uh, called BET, which is the British Educational Technology something. I don't know. Tomference? Tom Tomference, yes. <laughs> and basically, it's um, you walk around. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being too cynical about it. You walk around, and all these commercial suppliers are like saying, look at this great thing that we've built. And you go, oh, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and one of my friends calls it the cult of the shiny. And it's yes, like, it is exactly the cult of the shiny. Yeah, and you look at it and you go, oh, my God, that's good. We better get that for the classroom. But nowhere is they saying, this is how it enhances it. This is where, you know, there might be a gap in your provision at the moment, and this will fulfill that gap. And all that sort of stuff is, um, is that's, and it's just, you walk around and go, this, you get in the wrong end of the stick. You're putting the technology first rather than why do we need to create this mm. technology. Which, by the way, um, definitely is going to, we're going to cover that again in the answer because Cult of the Shiny um, is uh, <laughs> that's a great phrase. Okay, yeah. I mean, and there's always a danger of doing that because shiny things are great. Hmm. You know, I mean, I bet the first time that her, Homo, Homo Egaster had one of his little stone axes or her stone axes, it tends to be male, I don't know why, but maybe it wasn't back then. Maybe they weren't, they weren't, they weren't socialised to, to conform to these gender stereotypes so much back then. You know, you get a, one of these stone axes and you show it to, like, Ugg or whatever his name is, and you go, look at that. And the other one's going to go, oh, my God, that's amazing, or whatever, you know, homo agaster word for that would be. <laughs> and um, that's a natural, that's a natural inborn human reaction to just get blown away by shiny things because they're brilliant. Yeah. Technology is great. Mark and I could just sit in any room and have a chat, but it's much more fun with a microphone. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and you know, you get your, your uh, uh, Monsieur Levalier, oh, you know, kind of... Uh, Monsieur and Madame Levalier <laughs> upon your shirt. The Pell Marks, the <laughs> Pell Mics. And I uh, say, I'm getting Mike and Mark mixed up now. Um, and... Uh, and you know, and they're genius, they're genius. So all that sort of stuff is great. But the thing is, is that you as an educator need to be slightly more disciplined than, than getting blown away by the latest smart thing because it looks great, really. 
Absolutely. And that leads us very neatly into the final bit of the break apart, which is learning, okay. which we only really need to cover very briefly in this, essentially because uh, her argument is that the term learning in there makes it um, objective driven. So learning is an outcome as opposed to um, education, which is a, uh, a wider process. Education being a great big fluffy thing that people... Yeah, she in. called it the learnification of education. So basically, I think her argument... and. It's quite densely written and there were five of us in the room and all of us had interpreted it in different ways because it isn't quite that. It's not. It's going back to our um, obfuscation thing, whatever thing. It was quite obfuscatory in a lot of ways, Absolutely. I felt. But I, what I got from it was that um, there's been this move from talking about education and teaching to talking about learning. And so, and then, you know, there's a whole move towards, if, if things have got te- called teaching and learning, they'd be sw- swap them so they're called learning and teaching. And so we're not teachers anymore, we're facilitating learners. And I think Sean's resistance to that is that actually teachers are crucial, that by calling it all learning rather than teaching and learning or education, that it's placing all the onus on the learner to actually to be in control and for the locus of control to be theirs rather than it for to me the teachers and somehow it's passing the book slightly it could be seen as passing the book or feel like it because it's all placing the emphasis on what the learners do which I mean I can understand why that happens is because you want to be student-centered all that sort of stuff but that's her point I think is that it's we've gone too much the other way and I'm only talking about learning Mm. In fact, so to pull this into an even nerdier alleyway, yeah, I uh, was reading uh, earlier in the week, uh, Immunity Chicka's um, March Comes In Like a Lion. Great, uh, great manga, hardly recommend it. I think it's an anime now as well. And in it, there's uh, a bit where a group of teachers are talking about the kanji for mm. uh, the term teacher, which turns out is raise and teach. So you can't uh, spell teacher without putting raise in the kanji. Oh, right. Is that but, raise in the sense of raising up your... Yeah, as in... Not uh, in the sense of getting a promotion or getting more money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine it's like, you know, it's raising young people. Yeah. Which definitely sort of ties into... I know we've spoken about before, like graduate outcomes and things. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, the, the bits outside the immediate... Um, the bits of teaching that are very important outside of the immediate, getting the person to know their sums. And when people are trying to sell teaching as a profession to to graduates, to, you know, it's like, oh, you're finishing your degree, they don't sell it on the, they can't, they wouldn't be able to sell it on the salary because the salary is not that great. But they sell it on, you know, we all, well, I'm trying to, I'm thinking back to the fish, uh, the adverts on the notion that Shing is a fish when they're trying to sell uh, teaching as a profession, and it was like, we all remember the one of the uh, teachers that we had when we were growing up and what an influence they were, and that's what it is. That's what gets people into it, is this idea of raising up the next mm. generation, or if you're teaching adults, of you know giving people another chance, whatever stuff, and all that kind of thing, because there is something, you know, um, well, we're going to come on to humanism, but we're gonna, there is something that feels humanist about being a teacher. So that's, that's kind of, from, I think, where the learning issue yeah. is. So that is technology-enhanced learning. Mm-hmm. So I think we've talked about kind of what the term covers, what the perception of the term is, a little bit about how we apply it, and in the case of Sean's article, how the individual components within it kind of uh, direct yeah. that influence. So now we tie this together okay. with Ghost in the Shell, where we answer our question, what is Ghost in the Shell's major problem with technology-enhanced learning? Mm-hmm. Major problem. Major. Okay. Uh, if you've not spotted yet, <laughs> by the way, the major is a character in Ghost in she the Shell. She is the EK major. Yeah. Kusanagi, yeah. Uh, so this this is an incredibly clever question, which works on multiple levels. In, uh, which we threw together in about 30 seconds. Shh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Part two, the answer. 
when we were originally pulling apart Sean's paper. And Sean, thank you again for a um, really interesting paper. Mm-hmm. So some of the terms that she talks about in the article that tie in some of the elements of her um, sort of definition of tell or pulling apart of tell also apply or are themes that run through Ghost in the Shell. So these include... Yeah, okay. Right, try go for it, Mike. Post-humanism, <laughs> transhumanism yeah. particularly, and the, I think the transhuman element really ties into the technology in both uh, yeah. both both camps there. The concept of post-digital, mm-hmm. and and this is an interesting one, Mark seems to think that post-structural fits in here somewhere as well. Yeah. And I am really interested to see okay, how, how does, we pull that off. How, okay. how he pulls that off, because okay. um, the definition I could find of post-structural... Oh, go on then. Oh, no, it's right. We'll get to that one last. Okay. We can have that for pudding. Okay. I look Ooh, forward to it. Okay. Was uh, oh, <laughs> labyrinthine. Uh, post-digital. Okay, great. Okay. Do you want to start with humanism? No, no. Okay. Oh, that's, oh, because I want to do T-E-L, you see. So T ah, helps with clever. Okay, yeah. well, we'll have to make sure we tie it into Ghost in the Shell as well. Oh, yeah, you know, I can do that. Okay, I can do so that. let's talk about post-digital. Okay. Which means we need to talk about digital. <laughs> well, okay, we've already talked about digital, which is the idea that uh, it's a Bunch of it's a kind of single label for a bunch of technologies that are about computers and about being online and about all those sorts of things. So we get labelled under this idea that um, that actually there's a that post dating all the technologies like chalk and books and things like that. There's another set of technologies technologies which is all about the internet and computers and things like that. So digital. So, but the idea of post digital, which uh, has been around in education for about ten years now, which is that this whole idea of digital basis for education is gone or is going because it's not perceived as a different thing by people in that we move, we naturally segue from face-to-face to digital, that we will have a conversation and then we will pick up our phone to back up something that we were saying. And it's not like, oh, we are going online now. People don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We haven't done it for 10 years. Um, it's that it's actually so much an, in- an integral part of our lives that to think of it as something separate makes no more sense than having a separate education for the left-hand side of the room and the right-hand side of the room, something like that. Exactly. So in an educational sense, post-digital now means essentially digital is the new chalkboard in yeah. that it's just there. It's just part of accepted life. Mm. It, is, it, is, it is unremarkable yeah. in, its, um, in its presence and perceived as undisruptive in that regard. Basically, if you've ever been watching the news and your toes have curled when some presenter has gone, and now something new on social media... Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's post digital. That's the post digital in your soul. Going, yes. This uh, this cannot conceivably be news. But there are some things like I mean, still AR VR. There, that's like oh, let's get the VR kit out and let's all sit around and go, ooh, look at this, you know. And it's that's not integrated. That's not post digital. And then there's some things where you know um, people have just backed off from like virtual worlds or whatever because it never really worked as mm. as effectively as people thought it would. So yes, yeah, so post digital, I don't think works as a term. But if we were looking at say something like Ghost in the Shell. That is a post-digital world. Yes, it's a, yeah, it's a post-digital world, which is where, if anything, the term tell almost exists now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they don't... I mean, nobody thinks this is technology. They are technology. Everybody has... Well, I mean, OK, we, we could talk about ourselves being cyborgs now. I mean, you know, the phone is such an extension of ourselves. It's such a part of ourselves. That it's, I have a smartwatch on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I keep on flicking the things. Like <laughs> uh, I mean, my mum has, uh, has uh, carbon f- fibre alloy hips, so she's a cyborg, you know. Um, so, and as, as I said, Homo, Homo egaster had uh, these actually in hand axes. They were cyborgs because those hand axes went with them everywhere. It was an integral part of how they interacted with the world around them. And that's one and a half million years ago. 
So yeah, so that's but for I think the Ghost in the Shell people, everything technology, all technology is so integrated with who they are. So that is how post digital mm. ties the two together yeah. and goes part way towards answering our question. But we also need to talk about and which is it you'd like to do next, post humanism or yeah, okay, post humanism, then transhumanism. Yes. So we should very first quickly go on. You and it. I may know, you know. Pff, you know, humanism has been banded around for such a long time, we've almost all forgotten what it means. Okay. I certainly had, so I had to Wikipedia it. Go on, then. Uh, humanism essentially boils down to uh, the school of philosophical thought that we as human beings are miraculous, magical creatures, uh, a unique presence, and that we have uh, well, that we have souls, and that we're not just meat sacks mm. moving around on semi-pre-programmed lines, just sort of slightly complex neural nets um, blubbering around the place until we eventually dissolve. Post-humanism is what I just said. Uh, Post-humanism is the is a more objective view of uh, humanity and human action to, that I think recognises to a greater or lesser degree that we are essentially meat bro- uh, meat robots yeah. uh, wandering around the place and that uh, this conversation, for example, between myself and Mark uh, is in some regards utterly, utterly pointless in the scale of the universe. No, Possibly true. the scale of the universe outside of this immediate room. <laughs> uh, but, that, you know, we'll both eventually die and um, perhaps the greatest benefit we'll bring to uh, the world will be a uh, fertilisation of plants. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and that's where um, Sean's coming from with using humanism, post-humanism, to argue against enhancement is that enhancement is not, uh, is way more problematic. What makes things better well, okay, there's first of all whether or not technology makes things better, but the real question is what do we mean by better? Yeah, what, does, and that's what, does, not, what does better look yeah, like? And that's not unpacked at all because we make the assumption we all know what better means. But I mean, we might we might can we might oppose neoliberalism, which is apparently the predominant way of thinking politically in the West now, which is that free market forces will always make things better, and then you'll have a few Marxists going, well, actually maybe it doesn't, or just a few people with a common humanity going, actually maybe that doesn't work. Um, but then when I use the phrase common humanity or common vagonity... That is a humanist... That's a humanist presumption. So I think that is where Sean's coming from with saying post-humanism undermines this whole idea of what enhancement is. You can't really just presume you know what enhancement mm. is. Do you want me to link that? Well, I say, so with Ghost in the Shell, the way that one of the ways that you can see this played out mm. is that um, everybody in, the, uh, in sort of this modern world, uh, or almost everybody apart from those who can't, has some manner of cybernetic enhancement. Yeah. They are they have their cyber brains. They're constantly yeah. connected to uh, the net. They uh, they have greater physical abilities. Yeah. Does it enhance their lives? Is actually there's a huge question mark over that. It seems to uh, cause, I mean, in the, no, in the, yeah, in the narrative, yeah. all manner of problems. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, uh, as I stand now, my brain cannot be hacked. Except, of course, you know, perhaps by uh, right-wing just, populist yeah, messages. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like, Brexit's going to be a massive success. And Build they should wall. just get on with it. Yeah. Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm a bit sick in my mouth again there. But I think, essentially, Ghost in the Shell is transhumanist in that, okay, this, this transhumanism is partly about enhancing enhancement and making ourselves better through uh, technology or through... Um, Nanotech, or through nanotechnology, or through uh, hacking it with chemicals, or in the seventies, there was this big movement called Smile, which was S M I with a little two L E, which was space migration, intelligence increase, life extension. That was what transhumanism was back then, like forty years ago, and those were the big goals. And you know, those things I wouldn't say necessarily go without saying are obviously better, but I mean, a big part of transhumanism, the thing that makes me a transhumanist, is that excitement about 
you look at it and you go, it's the cult of shiny, maybe you go, oh my God, isn't that amazing? And which is the same, and that's an essential human activity, which is to pick up that stone axe as Homo Egaster and go, oh my God, isn't that amazing? And it's because Homo Egaster did that for a million years that we that humans evolved. So we aren't, you know, transhumanism is essentially a, the most humanist perspective on things because we are all about being transhuman, transhumanist, that transhumanism is, is life. <laughs> and where I would say Ghost in the Shell isn't is it's not post-human because all those questions it's asking is, am I, you know, uh, I've, I've, you know, I've taken away my body and now I'm just a brain. Okay, am I still human? Or, you know, uh, my body was destroyed when I was a child, which is one version of Matoko's background. Am I still human? And then another version in her eyes, she's actually a retcon it so that actually she was a cyborg before she was born because of a fetal problem she had. So again, and then like, okay, and then my brain's destroyed and I've uploaded my consciousness to a machine. Am I now, and I now I've merged with the puppet master, oops, spoiler, um, am I still me? And all those questions are humanist questions because they're presuming that, that those questions matter. So it's not post-humanist at all, I would say. It's transhumanist, but... I would no say, I would say that they exist in both a post- and transhumanist context. Oh, OK. I just want to quickly recap, though, okay. how we're tying this together and how we're answering yeah. our question. Okay. Just to quickly go back to our question, what is Ghost in the Shell's major problem with technology-enhanced learning? So we've identified some of the problems so far. Technology doesn't mean anything. Yeah, what is technology? Yeah. A major problem is that technology is just... <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a that's not a meaningful word. Yeah. Second one is enhancement doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Here's the real pierced like, resistance. So okay. Before the session, Mark came to me and said, "Now, Mike, oh, I'm not going to do the voice. I'm <laughs> sorry. You, usually, you, you, you could. Uh, I'm so the worst tired. thing about having a Dudley accent is that everybody can just do it so perfectly that it's I can. I, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll, do, I'll do I'll do I'll do Mark in a different accent, which okay. you can then transpose into this Dudley. This is like South African. Now, Mike, hey, <laughs> hey. you're a big cigar. Hey. Bring me pictures of Spider Man. Um, <laughs> no, so he said. And Mike, we have to know. <laughs> oh, God, like, like um, Jameson. James Jameson. James yeah. Jameson. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he said, Mike, the one that we absolutely, absolutely have to talk about is post-structuralism. Yeah. Uh, and I went. Bruh. So anyway, I googled it, uh, and here is oh my the God. definition that I found. I hope for I've it. got it right, because otherwise I'm going to be really stuck now. Oh, I see. I'm tempted to let Mark go first and then give you the definition, but that might be cruel. So let's okay. start with the definition yeah, and work okay, our way yeah, backwards. Okay, yeah. Put a lot of question marks and exclamation marks after this, because I think it may be quite cross. Um, <laughs> so Excellent. here we go. According to Wikipedia, okay. structuralism proposes that one may understand human culture by means of a structure, i.e. that it's modelled on language, structural linguistics, that differs from concrete reality and from abstract ideas. A third order that mediates between the two definitively. Post-structuralist authors all present different critiques of structuralism, but common themes include the rejection of the self-sufficiency of structuralism, the disassociation between a linguistic term and what it signifies, and an interrogation of the binary oppositions that constitute its structures. Mark, tie this in technology enhanced learning and ghost in the shell. Go! That is, okay, that's a really, really complicated way of saying something that is actually quite straightforward. Straightforward okay. it for us, please, dear God. Okay, so, okay, so structuralism. We've talked about constructivism up to now, um, and that's in the meaning of pedagogy, but actually there was an artistic movement called constructivism, which was like popular in the 1920s, 1930s in Russia. This was Eisenstein, people like that. They had this idea that you could actually structure a work of art in a particular way that would convey a very specific meaning to the audience. So you could have, like, that would create a kind of class consciousness or whatever sort of thing. 
And so the idea of structuralism is that the author is the only voice that matters in the structure of a work of art. A novelist will write something and they've structured that in a particular way that makes one particular sort of sense. And that you can do that. You can create a novel and that will then convey in a very uh, straightforward kind of jug mug kind of pedagogy we talk about in the past, in a very sort of structured essentialist, this is what a, the novel is about. There you go. Now you read that and then you will know what that novel is about. Post-structuralism Post has the audience as an active member. Yes, that's my understanding of what post-structuralism is. So uh, the uh, key moment in post-structuralism was a guy called Roland Barthes who looked at an image of a kid, little kid saluting a flag, and realised that the image was meant to convey patriotism and fervour and duty and all that sort of stuff. And for him, what he was looking at, he was seeing it, was indoctrination, subjugation and all those sorts of things and corruption. Nice flag, perhaps. It was a, and a nice flag. I can't even remember what the flag was. That's when he thought, hang on, there's this the idea of the that meaning is embedded totally within a work of art or a, or a piece is wrong. That actually, and he came up with this book called Mythologies, which is all about the different ways of perceiving things and the way that when we are reading something, we are investing that in our own ideas, our own language, our own associations. And so the same movie will not be exactly the same for two people. Okay, so Sorry. I was using that as an exact metaphor for what... Sean Bain's talking about when she's talking about the difference between learning and teaching, in that when we're talking about teaching and we're talking about a very structuralist way of looking at education, which is that the teachers, there's a way to structure assimilative te techniques which work on the way that brains always work and that memory works most effectively. And you put it, you have a learning object and you have constructive alignment and you do this, this, this and this, and this will have the impact on the student of this. And that's a very structuralist approach to things. Learning, on the other hand, is a kind of post-structuralist thing, which is that you look at things post-structurally, you look at what's going on inside of the person perceiving it, and that that will always be different for different people, And in the same way that an audience or a reader reads texts in different ways. And so what you're trying to do is acknowledge the fact that this teaching moment is not really a teaching moment, it's a multitude of different learning moments for, for different people. Over to you. I have nothing to add on that. <laughs> um, okay, so how does that answer our question? Okay, well, in as, in as much as you could have two people watching Ghost in the Shell and some people read the manga, some people haven't, whatever. So that you will never have... That is a really good example of how post-structuralism is true and structuralism isn't. And I think that's where Sean's argument falls on the third hurdle is that, yes, I agree with technology doesn't mean anything. Yes, I agree uh, enhancement doesn't mean anything. But learning, I think, is has to be acknowledged that learning is what's going on, not teaching. Teaching is there, but it's predominantly learning rather than teaching because learning, learning backs up this whole post-structuralist viewpoint of how things happen. And, and I, so I think that's kind of where Ghost in the Shell and the idea of learning work and that that kind of opposes Sean's argument as far as learningification being a bad thing goes. Okay, so we said to you at the head of the episode that we were going to tie these two completely diametrically opposed things together. Um, Mark is literally dripping with sweat after, <laughs> after going down that particularly knotty rabbit hole. Um, of my own, I'm self-imposed uh, as well, it's just ridiculous. Definitely self-imposed. It's like he sets himself like a drinking challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say post-structuralist, I've got to drink. Um, so, let us recap our Every time I say post-structuralist, you think you have to drink. 
<laughs> I want to drink every time. <laughs> okay, so, sorry, go so on. So let's, uh, okay. let's recap our answer now. What is Ghost in the Shell's major problem with technology-enhanced learning? So the major problem in both technology-enhanced learning and Ghost in the Shell is that the term technology and that digital itself is essentially redundant mm -hmm. uh, because we live in a post-digital world and Ghost in the Shell is set in a post-digital era. The concept of enhancement, you know, what is enhancement of the human is a, uh, a central tenant. Tenant? Tenant, tenant. tenant. Tenant is a person who lives in a place. Yeah, tenant. Is a guy, Doctor Who. Uh, a central, uh, central pillar is um, the question around enhancement of the human, uh, post-humanism, transhumanism, where does that sit and I think enhancement is problematic, but we disagree because I think I think because I don't see post-humanism in um, in Ghost in the Shell, and you do. To summarise, then, yeah, technology. The summary of the summary. To, yeah, because bloody hellfire, we've pulled together a lot of strands for this one. Not <laughs> not intentionally. Be a deep one. <laughs> technology doesn't exist. Okay. Enhancement doesn't exist. Yeah. In the context of these two things, or maybe it does, but you can't presume that because it's technology. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the sorry, the concept of technology and the concept of enhancement do not have a specific existence in the context of either no. um, Ghost in the Shell yeah. or technology enhanced learning because yeah. there are too many uh, redundancies and assumptions that go along with them. Okay. And learning. And learning it backs up the idea that learning, 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 learnification of education is not a bad thing because it's a preeminent example of how a narrative exists in the mind of the reader rather than the mind of the author, in the same way that learning exists in the mind of the learner, not in the mind of the teacher. Ghost in the Shell has a problem with the technology-enhanced bit, but doesn't have a problem with the learning bit. Yes. And that answers that question. <sighs> wow. Yeah, okay. Okay, so... Good job editing that. <laughs> now let's give you some practical tips for your own teaching. Oh, okay, right. If you are going to talk about post-humanism, transhumanism, or post-structuralism, uh, do a bigger Wikipedia search first. Um, read a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rather than doing that, uh, read read any any book. Uh, I recommend. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Robin Hobb's Assassins uh, trilogies. I think that was quite a bit more fun than reading about post-structuralism. Mm. Uh, definitely a lot more fun than reading the Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, that was heavy. Going. That was that was heavy. Um, or watch and read Ghost in the Shell, which is uh, which is utterly excellent. Uh, but for other tips for your teaching, I think there is don't automatically assume that technology is going to enhance yeah. what you do. Yeah. Um, and also understand that uh, the impact of any technology that you do introduce to the classroom is outside of your control. In mm. some respect, it's tied to the learner's perception of it, which is entirely out of your mm -hmm. hands and it is uncontrollable in its own regard in that it is uh, technologies are, are their own beasts. Yeah, and don't put, don't, yeah, I mean, you could put the technology first, but don't make the technology the key thing that's going on, really. Yeah. Uh, pedagogy should drive the technology, not technology driving the pedagogy. Yeah, 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 sure. And it doesn't matter anyway because we'll all be cyborgs in 20 years' time anyway. Exactly. And we'll just be able to download all of this. You'll be. <laughs> You'll be listening to this at 20 times speed on your sped up cyber brain. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, I Having hope so. downloaded all the theories. <laughs> and see, the great thing about a cyber brain is it would have an off switch so you could actually get to sleep oh, at night. Oh, Christ, that would Wouldn't be, that be brilliant? beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Just as long as somebody turns it back on again in the morning. <laughs> okay, I think that yeah. just about does it. 
cool. Well, thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us on... Yeah, if you're still listening, obviously. Um, you can subscribe to us. I think uh, that'd be fascinated. I, I think that. I think so what an intellectual workout that was. I know. I think, I tell you what, you'll be able to engage in some heavy-hitting debates after this. And you drop any of these terms in, um, in any sort of bar discussion. I can guarantee you that knickers or boxer shorts will drop straight away, quick smart. I would recommend just dropping the word post in front of any word that somebody else talks about. Mm. So if you're talking about colonialism, post-colonialism. A box? Yeah. Post-box? Post-box. <laughs> yes, post-boxer post shorts. Was that? <laughs> what? Are you talking about the boxer shorts will drop? Yeah, just check it. Poster boys. <laughs> post in front Post-it of it. notes. Um, I think I was doing an outro. <laughs> yeah, we were already doing an outro. Okay, right. Outro okay. two. Post outro. Post outro. Okay, so uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us on all your favourite app feeds and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. That's pedagodzilla. If you want to get in touch with us, you can holler via Twitter at pedagodzilla. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, we've had a, a good old stimulating workout um, and we'll speak to you again next time. Tatty, bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm oh, crying. Oh, God, we've had a good workout. Oh, I my know. God. I don't think I've ever come closer to having a full mental breakdown. <laughs>